Hello from the Pacific Northwest. This is Kristen from kristenwombeck.com, and you're listening to Intentional Now Podcast. More people than ever are asking the question, how do we find ourselves on the resurrected side of Jesus? In this show, I discuss what's really on the other side of the torn veil, ascending into heaven, and how does our sonship fix the heart of creation? If you're like me, Jesus has redefined what you used to say yes to. Join me and my guests in a workshop discussion that proclaims, We are not nailed to the cross or dead in the grave, but fully alive and resurrected in him. Let's do this. Welcome, welcome to you this evening. And I say this evening, <laughs> it is 10.56 on a Thursday evening. I have been writing off and on all day, scripting out, thinking about the tale that I'm going to share with you today. What a delight to continue our journey of mystical tales. In my week, oh, my weekly accomplishments, aside from recovering from a cold, two trees are decorated thus far. Though the Christmas boxes still fill my hall, the biggest tale of all is I have three more trees to sprinkle with glitter and bow this season. If that just makes you gasp, then I urge you to look once again in the face of a child. A child believes goodness twinkles with Christmas lights, and they notice that people sing in the course of 30 days more than they have for the entire year. Children believe without effort, they forgive without payment, and love because it's closest to the heart. Today, we are going to stretch our arms <laughs> all the way from English literature to the Pacific Northwest. Are you ready? Okay, I'm looking forward to telling this to you, such little secrets that I love to share. So I invite you to hear the miracle, even though I'm going to set an edge to the same. From one of our dearest characters, Mrs. Dashwood, to her youngest daughter. Hush, please. That is enough, Margaret. If you can't think of anything appropriate to say, you will please restrict your remarks to the weather. <laughs> and just so, we will talk about the weather. Our Christmas season tale will stretch the imagination of wonder to solve a very practical dilemma. It's hidden only in the pages of my journal, yet it's written in the records of heaven. My neighbors who see me walk my dog down Merlor Avenue, or the farmers who for generations have tapped into the bounty that flows from rivers, 
and streams and creeks? Our First Nations people, like you and I, hold treaties in our hand, and my local countrymen, whose prayers may need a little bit of an upgrade. There are things hidden in the spirit to delight the best of storytellers. We are governors, stewards of creation that hold the restoration of all things. Faith is not meant for the known, but to discover the mystery of the unknown. Let me say that again. Faith is not meant for the known, but it is to discover the mystery of the unknown. I'd like to put a looking glass, a magnifying glass, over a familiar statement. What someone doesn't know won't hurt them. Is that true? What someone doesn't know won't hurt them. Hmm. Remaining ignorant or uninformed about something will allow someone not to have worry about or feel responsible for or get upset by it. An example. Where are you going? It's better that you stay in the dark about this. What you don't know won't hurt you. You know, mom will freak out if she finds out that you took the car without asking. Of course she will, but mom doesn't know won't hurt her. Hmm. If we choose to remain uninformed, what happens to the magic that could undo worry? Our storyline is meant... Hmm to add some meat and potatoes to our prayers. Our sonship from the 1990 movie adaption of Simple and Simplicity. You know, when Mrs. Dashwood, when Mr. Dashwood died, he must leave a bulk of his estate to the son by his first marriage, which leaves his second wife and their three daughters Eleanor, Marianne, and Margaret in straightened circumstances. Do you remember the movie? They are taken in by a kindly cousin by their lack of fortune. That lack of fortune affects their marriage ability of practical Eleanor and romantic Marianne. When Eleanor forms an attachment for the wealthy Edward Ferris, His family disapproves and separates them. And though Mrs. Jennings tries to match the worthy and rich Colonel Brandon to her, Marianne finds the dashing and fiery John Willoughby more to her taste. Both relationships are sorely tried. I pull just a morsel for the season from Jane Austen's book, Simple and Simplicity. Are you ready? They have left the estate at Moreland, shut out by the laws of the times. Women were not allowed to inherit. 
we find the family answering their first invitation from Barton Cottage. Mrs. Dashwood and her daughters were met at the door of the house by Sir John, who welcomed them to Barton Park with unaffected sincerity, and as he intended them to the drawing-room, repeated to the young ladies the concern which the same subject had drawn from him the day before. About being unable to get any smart young men to meet them. He hoped they would all excuse the smallness of the party, and he could assure them that it should never happen so again. He had been to several families that morning in hopes of procuring some addition to their number, but it was moonlight, and everybody was full of engagements. Luckily, Lady Millington's mother had arrived at Barton within the last hour, and she was very cheerful, agreeable woman. He hoped the young ladies would not find it so very dull as they might imagine. The young ladies, as well as their mother, were perfectly satisfied with having two entire strangers at the party, and they wished for no more. Mrs. Jennings and Lady Middleton's mother was good-humored, merry, fat, elderly woman who talked a great deal, seemed very happy and rather vulgar. She was full of jokes and laughter and before dinner was over had said many witty things on the subject of lovers and husbands, and hoped they had not left their hearts behind them in Sussex. She pretended to see them blush, whether or not they did. Marianne was totally vexed at it for her sister's sake, and turned her eyes towards Eleanor to see how she bore these attacks. Margaret, the younger sister, let it slip that Eleanor had such an attachment. And the Jennings, oh, they had a heyday trying to wriggle and winkle it out of them. Our famous line comes from her embarrassed family in the privacy of the carriage returning them to Barton Cottage. Marianne, casting her judgment, towards the youngest sister. And as for you, you have no right, no right at all, to parade your ignorant assumptions. They're not assumptions, Margaret said. You told me. I told you nothing, as Eleanor eyes her sisters. They'll meet him anyway when he comes, anyway, Edward Ferris has promised to visit the family within a fortnight at Barton College. Margaret, that's just not the point. You do not speak of such things before strangers. But everyone else was. Mrs. Jennings is not everyone. I like her. She talks about things. We never talk about things. Hush, please. That's enough, Margaret. If you cannot think of anything appropriate to say, you will please restrict your remarks to the weather. For years, my husband and I had the pleasure to pass over the cascades 
for the new year and enjoy respite and rejoicing with our dear friends from Lapine. This year, I traveled a couple of times before the end of the year. The Cascade Mountains, they stretch from the borders of Mexico to the wilderness of Canada. Highway 22, I'm very familiar with, it curved between forest towns, crossed high points of the Oregon Trail, and reaches its highest point at 4,236 feet of elevation, cresting west of the Santiam Junction at Tombstone Pass, where the Iron Mountain Trail provides a wide path for snowshoeing or cross-country skiing on an old wagon trail. Hmm. According to the Forest Service, the pass got its ghastly name from a tragedy in 1871. The Santiam Wagon Trail was a major conduit over the Cascades, and Tombstone Pass was the beginning of the seven-mile hill for travelers heading west towards the Willamette Valley. Can you imagine a seven-mile incline with horse and wagon? (laughs) While stopping overnight to camp with his family, an 18-year-old James McKnight was accidentally shot as he retrieved his gun from between two bedrolls. His grieving mother placed a tombstone in his honor. Now, The road is covered in snowshoe and ski tracks rather than wagon wheel ruts. The trail provides an excellent view of Iron Mountain and other peaks poking above the timberline. So my crest is covered in history. You know, the summer had been long and the fall lingered behind to catch us up in precipitation. Last year's snowpack was completely melted and running back to the ocean via the farmer's fields. Agricultural worry, hmm, it was on the heart of many, and the news reporters regurgitated fear and chalked it up as global warming. The roads were clear, the fir and the pine thirsted for a good rain. To say I have a vivid imagination, I'd answer, isn't everyone supposed to? The unfinished book clearly shares my wagon trail journey from spiritual blindness to heavenly kindergarten. I can see. (laughs) What did we say earlier? What someone doesn't know won't hurt them. The mountains would beg me to think different. My little white Honda and I rose up over the summit from Tombstone. I prefer a quiet car. I'm not really into too much music sometimes, or I'll listen to podcasts. I probably was just jabbering away with the Lord, talking, taking full advantage of my hiatus away from my busy and noisy home. Like a snap of a camera, viewed peripherally, a snippet just like passed. What was that? Seated on his painted mount, 50 or so yards into the dry forest, he watched me drive by. 
just as you would imagine. Huh. His royal figure broke the monotony of trunk after trunk of the pine. My spiritual eyes kept looking, and I drove by. Lord, um, did I see what I think I just saw? Does the Lord ever answer a straight question with you? Ah, he's a notorious question asker. Mm, what did you see, Kristen? <laughs> now, there is a greater interest in the conversation in our car, right? Okay, okay, okay. If it's good for Jeremiah, then who am I to stir up his ways, right? Okay, I saw what looked like a scene from a movie. A Native American, he was bare-chested, long hair with a feather dangling, had a loincloth on, and he was seated bareback on an Appaloosa. <laughs> Textbook Hollywood, staring at me as I drove by. Well, the Lord said, yes, you've seen right. I can still see him staring at me. By this time, I was ascending the long road of pine trees into sisters with a thousand questions on my tongue. The Lord smiled at me and said, Ah, you just go enjoy your visit with your friends and we'll talk about it later. <laughs> later? Talk about it later? Ah. My mind was filled with questions, but the delight and the distraction of friends, ah, it just took the lead. My three-day stay went quickly. We hugged, and I bid them a Merry Christmas, and I vowed we would see each other in a couple of weeks over the New Year's. The air was crisp and dry, no rain which meant no snow kept the doors closed for most of the livelihood on this side of the Cascades. People's lives and businesses were struggling. Bend, a winter playground for many, and the ski lifts, winter rentals, and resorts, they were feeling it. Driving, hmm, it's a natural personality for me and my family. Yeah, we are drivers. From Sunday drives to the coast, San Diego and back over a long weekend, three days to blow across the country or a 24-hour straight through to Colorado. Ah, it's just in our blood. We love a good road trip. So my shift hmm, was in the wee hours of the morning. Mm -hmm. So from Lapine, I'd be home in two and a half hours if traffic was good. And my curiosity was more than piqued to cross over the Willamette Pass. No surprise at all. He was there. Royal, regal. And, I, you know, I think he'd be a bit cold. <laughs> oh, well, as I passed by, but I didn't feel prompted to stop. But his stare lived in my spirit. Hmm. Well, I got home without a hitch. 
unpacked, got back into the flow of family Christmas season, and could hardly wait for a quiet, empty house Monday morning. My adult boys have been out of the house for a few years. Two of them married, all gamefully employed. Ah, it's just the big boy, my husband. And just a secret between you and me, ladies. Okay, this is a secret. (laughs) After 34 years of marriage, raising four sons, I have always treasured a quiet house. Amen. (laughs) So here the Lord and I are. We pulled up my prayer pillow in the living room, my heart just waiting to hear about this grand spiritual sight. The room shifted, and the Lord's heart descended into mine. You could feel the weightiness. It wasn't burdensome, no. It was the Father's intent. Kristen, the Lord said, I'd like you to watch over the snowpack in the Cascades. Okay, and how do I do that? From the scrolls of heaven, my spirit could perceive a huge blueprint being unfurled. Create in your mind's eye for a minute looking at the weather scrolls of heaven. I knew that they existed, but hadn't come into direct assignment with them. The Lord had shown me the storehouses of rain and snow that Job talks about. In Job 38, 22-24, Have you visited the storehouses of the snow? Or seen the storehouses of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. What is the way to the place where lightning is dispersed, or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? I drew, I shared below the picture I drew at that time when the Lord showed me that storehouse. You know, we can encounter all the firmaments from above and below. And in my picture, I remember that the, the, the elements, they were like cubes, and the cubes are a quantum dimension of the earth. And you could see the different elements inside. It was fascinating. So my perception of the scroll... Uh, It had holes in it, and they weren't holes. They were mm, like black codes, like like old-time, you know, like IBM language, like Fortran and, and, and COBOL. It was an assembler language. It was old. But when I touched the scroll, the information just seemed to speak to my understanding. The codes were archaic and needed updating, or should we say, resequencing. They need to be restored to their original DNA. 
the governing of the weather had been mm, punch carded. I asked the Lord, well, how do I clean up the mess and return the weather patterns back to the appropriate age? He told me in the spirit, go with the Indian chief. Oh, so I did. My spirit ascended. Here I am in my living room, but my spirit ascended it right there to the Willamette Valley Pass. And I met the chief. I don't remember his name, but I will give him one for the sake of the story. Brown. Chief Brown Bear. My spirit met him at the edge of the forest, and we walked out over the horizon of eastern Oregon. Well, what does that feel like to walk on the horizon? (laughs) It's a great question. Consider hmm, walking on a low setting of fog, the kind that just hangs above the tree canopy line. We walked and we walked. I don't remember saying anything. The horizon gave way to the fog And it was moving and it was kind of billowing in the distance. And I began to make out shapes, three shapes with horses. They continued to travel towards us. A meeting in the sky, you could say. Then before I could see the expression on their faces and make out their identity, Chief Brown touched my arm and we stopped. And the three, uh, what I would assume at this point, three chiefs from other tribes also halted. I waited for movement. Hmm. I waited for an unction. When it didn't come, I asked Jesus to show me what to do next. A divine monitor dropped before me, just like you were standing in the airport reading arrivals and departures. In nanoseconds, a prophetic movie shared why there was distance between the tribes and why the weather weather scrolls were corrupted code. This is how I understood it. Each of the four ancient tribes were given spiritual gifts to govern. The gifts consisted of the elements, earth, wind, water, and fire, each an elemental. Together they were to learn, flow, and work with the elementals, understanding the dimension in which they lived and how they had intricate parts of nature creation, but instead... Bitterness and misunderstandings arose, and the tribes used the gifts against one another. This made the earth sound and the frequency sad. This damaged the ability of the weather scrolls to communicate to the seasons and remain in governance. The scrolls were compromised. The elementals were compromised, and weather changed. Fire usurped the earth, wind overtook the fire, earth pushed the water, 
and creation was unable to return to the patterns that gave life. Giving life was the sole purpose of the gifts, to share, understand, and live prosperously. Bitterness and misunderstandings turned gifts into weapons. The story brought tears to my eyes, and Chief Brown looked at me, and he began to weep. A a dissension left a mess that affected future generations that had no understanding how to clean it up. And this is where my assignment came in. This is why Chief Brown's presence was waiting for me. For someone who had eyes to see and ears to hear. It's odd how your spirit responds. I have just learned to watch, interact, and ask questions uh, later. (laughs) My spirit arm reached down through the dimensions of the horizon and grabbed five stalks of wheat. Carrying the wheat, I instructed Chief Brown to come with me to meet the other tribal chiefs. We walked to the center of the invisible divide. It's as if the wheat was a symbol of peace. Such an interesting notion, I noticed. When the chiefs walked with their horses following in hand, clinging to the ceiling of the horizon just under their feet, like we were walking on frozen fog, were the elements. Each element was under the footstep of the chief that was graced to govern it. It was an auspicious moment, a wonderful sight. As if feet of fire and soles of earth and steps of wind and trails of water, the living destiny scroll of each of these ancient tribes who walk the earth, one can only imagine how many years before. I handed each of the chiefs a stalk of grain bearing wheat. Looking into their eyes, I could see a wash of emotions, both joy and relief. The lines of understanding on their face, the words that were never able to be unspoken or undone or reversed, because life and breath changed its address. I watched them. Each stripped the head of the wheat in their hand and began to crush the grain and the holes loosened its fruit. The significance was written in their actions. The whole casing divinely winnowed on this living threshing floor. (laughs) Matthew 3.12 His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. We were walking on Hosea 13.3. 
Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from the window. They took the fruit in their hands and each man walked to each of the horses and fed the grain until each chief had fed the other chief's horse. It reminds me today, remembering almost five years gone by, it's like God walking between the offering parts. In Genesis 15, when the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, behold, a smoking fire part and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the halves of the carcasses. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Huh. I didn't see the Lord's response. I felt it. Jesus had restored the tribes and the elements and gifts to them with smiles and hugs and embraces and tongues I could not understand, they each mounted their horse and rode off together, united as one. They were gone. Jesus stood next to me. Now what would you like me to do? He handed me um, a two-cup glass measuring cup, and it was filled with water. It looked just like my Pyrex measuring cup in my kitchen. And he said, I want you to pour this over the mountains and say, I decree rain and snow to the exact measurement of this cup. Not one drop more or one drop less. I did that almost every day for a year. We have had ample snowpack ever since. Every spring, the reservoirs are full. Farmers' crops are irrigated. Cities have water to drink. And tourist businesses are enjoying the bounty that snow brings. And to his praise... This year, the ski resorts opened for Thanksgiving. We have currently an annual snowfall of 129 inches since September 1st. I have never seen the Native American chiefs again. I can easily imagine them from the cloud of witnesses writing and counseling the destiny scrolls of their people. <laughs> I trust this mystical tale at Christmas time has stirred up your divine imagination. 
Do you remember what I said to you last week in last week's tale? <clears throat> the most important gift I can give you this Christmas season is expectation. The strong belief that a miracle will happen. Imagine how we should change creation, restore our forest, rid infestation and disease, and release rains from the storehouses of heaven. Until next week, I will quote our heroines. If you can't think of anything appropriate to say, you will please restrict your remarks to the weather. And just so, we have spoken about the weather. Happy Christmas. I will see you next week. Bye now. <laughs>